and welcome to the 50th episode ever of the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast. Now, I know we've had a few milestones over the last year and a bit of this pod, but this, our 50th appearance, really does feel extra special. I am Ross Anderson. With me is John Muir. John, happy 50th, mate. Episode, that is. I don't mean your 50th birthday, although we're probably not too far off that either, are we? Do you know, I was just, literally, as you said that, I thought, oh, it'll be too long until this conversation is actually about my 50th. But we've got more than a decade to go. So hopefully the podcast lasts that long. Whether uh, the two of us will still be hosts of it in a decade's time would be interesting to see. But yeah, no, it's it's amazing to think. We, we talk about it all the time. You know, it was an idea born through COVID. Cards sort of just landed Probably, you know, you, you rocked up and we started talking in the gym. We floated the idea and then all of a sudden it, we, we made it happen and here we are, 50 episodes in. It's, it's mind-boggling, it's humbling, it's uh, it's incredible to think. 20, over 20,000 listens, you know, all the guests that we've had on, everybody coming and talking to us and being a part of it and getting involved in it, it's, uh, yeah, it's remarkable. It's been fun as well, eh? It's been good fun. It's been a lot of fun, yeah. And we've still got a hell of a lot to come, not just because we know how long we're going to be doing it for, but, I mean, I've said it before, that list of guests that we would like to get on or even that we have planned in the next coming weeks or sometime in the future, there is, there's just so much left to do. Need to enter a couple more tournaments, get you play, back playing again, John, as well. You missed the inaugural one, of course, but... Yeah, there is still so much more to be done with this podcast, but 50 episodes in, as you say, it's pretty special. Today's episode is special not only for the personal milestone, but for the guest we have with us as well. Stuart Tree, Dumfries Saints, Gloucester Scarlets and Scotland forward Alex Craig joins us today on this momentous episode. No pressure, Alex. How are you, mate? Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm, I'm good, mate. Uh, not too bad. Just uh, just got back from training, straight on to straight on to Zoom with you boys. So couldn't ask for a nicer nicer nice, nicer start to my evening. <laughs> well, I'm doing exactly the opposite. I've got a good chat with you two, and then I'm off into the cold. So I think I'd rather be you than me. But either way, we just gave a little brief run through of where you started, what you went through to where you are now but of course that means nothing when I say it in your own words Alex a bit of your rugby journey so yeah I started rugby when I was what six or seven uh down at Stuart Tree I was there for what seven years I got into it really through my through my dad and there was a good group of us when I was fairly young obviously came up through with likes of Stafford uh, who's obviously doing really well at Glasgow now there was yeah there's a couple of us that, that were they were pretty uh, handy at the time, so we had quite a good little group. And then once we got a little bit older, once I was sort of 14, 15, well, Stafford was actually, he was kind of young for his kind of the age group for the, for the for our kind of, for a year group, so he could go down a year, whereas I was up a year. So that was just the way it worked out. And then obviously um, at the time it was, we were struggling a little bit with numbers and stuff and, Dumfries were doing pretty well, so that was 
when I decided to go across sort of under 15, under 16s with uh, Dumfries. I was at there for, well, I was there for two years, which was, which was great, which was sort of a good little sort of stepping stone getting to compete against sort of the stronger sides in the Southwest, like Air and I don't know who else was quite strong back then. Like we had, there was a couple of sides, maybe like Kilmarnock and things, you know, sort of them sides nearer, nearer Glasgow. So yeah, like I say, it was kind of more of just like a little stepping stone um, to get some more competitive rugby. And when I was obviously quite a keen player at that at that age, so I was I was sort of running around that time, Alex, wasn't it? Where we had to make a bit of a judgment call because you guys had came up, as you say, came up together, and it was at the sort of time where Scottish rugby were trying to not force you, but trying to encourage you to split your age groups to make sure that you tried to have. 13s, 14s, 15s, 16s and 18s and it was the first year that we really tried that and unfortunately for you, you fell in that in that cut off space where there was maybe only five or six of you in that and we kind of knew that you were going to be a, a good player, player at a high level so when your dad, who's a staunch stewardry man, you know, still legendary around the club as the flying winger, I think it tore you to pieces a little bit for you to have to go to Dumfries. But we were we were happy to support you in that, and you went there, and you managed to pick up a contact, didn't you, with, with Russell, who's who's back now at, at Dumfries Saints, Russell Marchant, and he was able to take you, get you a wee a wee foot in the door down in down in Hartbury. Tell us about about that. Yeah, so well at the time when I went down to Hartbury, I didn't really know Russell too well. More so through actually one of the boys who played. At Dumfries, a guy called Harry Holday, who had family down in Gloucestershire. And he mentioned to me that he was basically interested in Hartbury. And obviously, him going down, it was quite a, quite a way. Obviously, it's down in Gloucestershire. So it was, what, six hours from, I guess, our area. So he was the one who kind of mentioned to me, you know, going down the end of the year, would you be interested or. You know, what what's your plans, you know, for next year sort of thing. I and mean, obviously uh, anyone that knows me knows that I'm not very academic. So I, uh, yeah, I looked into it a bit and it was just sort of sport every day and the sort of educational side was, was very relaxed. Um, so no, it looked great at the time and I went down there and uh, yeah, I loved it. Uh, it's just full of like-minded lads like yourself who like enjoy rugby, enjoy sport and just enjoy fine about really it was incredible because I, I remember you going down there and i don't i don't mean this in a disparaging way but you you went down there as like a a young kid you came back and pff, mate absolutely huge you're a bloody monster now what was the secret what what was happening down in down in Hartbrook? was it in the meat was it was it in the training what, what were you doing were you literally just sitting around eating lean meat and pumping iron because you you fairly blew up pretty quickly, even height wise. What what height are you now? Six six four six five. Uh, yeah, well, like you say, I, I'm I'm six five, but yeah, I, I put on probably about ten fifteen kilograms in my first year. But I think a lot of that was down to the fact that I did actually break my ankle. So yeah, I broke my ankle within about a month going down, and it was like you say, it was a tough time because I was young and I was a kid, like. I couldn't, could barely tie my own shoelaces. Like, never mind, make a cooked meal for myself. So yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty tough. Obviously, having to get an operation on my ankle, being away from, well, far away from home. 
but I had a good group around me, good group of friends, which made it easy for me to stay down there at the time. And the whole size thing all just came from a group of mates who enjoyed going to the gym and just eating creatine pretty much. Shakes and creatine nonstop. So yeah, we'd probably gym about twice a day. Five, yeah, probably probably what well, probably not even more than five times a, a week, probably close to six days a week. And it was yeah, we'd just be constantly going to the gym because I wasn't able to run. I was getting pretty bored, so obviously cause I couldn't. I was just going around crutchy, so I just got do a lot of bench press, a lot of weights, and gradually I just get kept getting heavier and bigger, and yeah, just. That's just what I got up to in my first year down there, pretty much. Because I, I, I remember you as a... You were a centre first year through for a while, and then you sort of flirted a little bit with the back row, because obviously your, your dad be, being, a, being a winger, um, we sort of had you kind of half-year marked as a as a centre, and then you, you kind of got a, bit, a little bit bigger, taller, so back row started piquing your interest, and you, you loved the physicality. Like you were, you were always a really physical, physical player. So it probably suited you to, to get yourself into the gym. But you broke your leg. So you, you were obviously doing a lot, of, as you said, doing a lot of bench press. And then did you not injure your upper body the second year? Or was it the third year you injured the upper, your shoulder, I think? Shoulder, was it? I, I've had a fair few injuries, to be honest with you. But I'd say my first, my second serious injury was actually my knee, you know. I didn't have anything too bad upper body until I was sort of maybe 20 like regarding surgery wise it was it was just lots of uppers lots of lots of bench press shoulder press and around the gym like (laughs) um and the second year well second year was more so like where I was playing so obviously under 18s I had a like I said I had a year of just like lifting weights pretty much and then I had my second year was actually playing so that was my second year of under 18s which which is quite an important year which i'm sure everyone's aware is like it's one of those well it's your last year of i guess your youth rugby before really going into that senior senior stage like it was quite a big a year for that point of view so it was obviously like i was involved because i'd put a lot of weight on and i was kind of coming back into fitness then in my first year Gloucester had half an iron main. I remember well, I did well at it was actually a sevens tournament. I did well at uh Roslyn Park Sevens where Gloucester were there and they saw me playing and then they were like, Okay, well they saw me and they were like, Oh, we could probably see you actually playing second row. So it was it was them kind of converted me over fully because at this point I'd put a lot more weight on, but I was still kind of able to I wasn't too big, I was still able to run fairly well from my like you say, from couple of years before playing in the centres being being a bit younger and stuff but yeah it was kind of then it kind of pushed me across to moving to the second row and then you sort of started to develop the skills around that with when I was with Gloucester and Academy doing under 18s with them And how did the rugby go because obviously we said at Hartbury I mean because obviously we said you had that injury in the first year and then the second year was, was the big rugby year for you how did you find that moving down there, as you say, six hours long way away from home after spending a lot of time in, in Castle Douglas and Dumfries. And how did it compare to to the, all the years that you spent at Stuart Tree and, and the couple of years you spent at Saints? I mean, it was very different in the sense of obviously the competitive level. Like you're the, you know, what the saying of, you know, you're, you're a big fish in a small tank when you're southwest of Scotland. 
you're a big fish in a small tank, especially when you're a bit younger in that age group. But then you come, you know, a small fish in a big tank when you when you move away out of your comfort zone and obviously it's a bit of a level playing field. Everyone who's going there is, believes that they're gonna be well, wants to obviously be a rugby player. That's their goal. That's that's why they're there. Um so it's like you gotta almost it's kinda of whoever really wants it more. If you want it enough then you know, you'll you'll probably make it. So it's one of those really. But like it, it kinda of depends how you adapt to things as well. Like when I was younger, it was always on my mind that what I wanted to do. So when I did get injuries and stuff when I was a bit younger, I was just trying to try to stay positive. And I can't, like I say, how I used my injury, I used it as like a positive because I just put, I just got a lot stronger, you know. I guess it could have been like what was a blessing in disguise potentially, especially when I was so young. But like I say, it was, it was just about going to an environment where it's competitive and it's about trying to, be as competitive as you can be in that environment and putting your best foot forward when I was when I was what, 16, 17. And then, of course, there's such strong ties between Heartbreak and Gloucester. How does that partnership kind of work? You touched on it a little bit a second ago, you know, that they approach you. But how does that, how does that process, how does that transition work? How much contact do you have with them? And then, you know, what are the steps to get you through that door? The, yeah, the whole length thing with Harbury and Gloucester is very close. So there's, there's there's lots of like feeder sort of feeder teams to Premiership academies throughout the country. Really, like like I said, they watch a lot of your games. They're very close in touch regarding like who's coming up through the ranks or whatever. You know who's who's to look out for. And yeah, like I say, thankfully um, I got put forward at the time. And yeah, that's just kind of how it works. Really, I guess it's. They just speak amongst the coaches, and then, and then obviously it's down to you then to do well in that environment. How did the first few months go after you're on their radar? You know, obviously they'll they'll keep in comms between all the coaches, but when they eventually do want to get you through the door, and you're, you know, you're in the Gloucester Academy, hoping to be in the first team. How does that kind of transition between they've noticed you, you're on the radar, and all right, let's have you, let's let's come play. Does it even filter down, Alex? So, you know, the, the coaches are having those conversations. How how do you know that you're on, or do you know that they, you're on their radar? Or is that conversations well, at the back, you're just always putting your foot forward? So under 18s, yeah, like you would get spoken to about going to like the Gloucester Academy sessions they'd be in the evening. So you'd train with Hartbury in the mornings and stuff, and then you'd go and do evening stuff with, with your kind of Premiership Academy. Then obviously they did they'd be hands on with you. Obviously then they're kind of yours, you know. Uh, sorry, you, you're kind of theirs in that sense. Like they can, you know, they, they'll see if you've if they feel you've you've got potential, you know, if if they want you to, you know, things to work on and things to get better at. Yeah, they're very hands on with that then because they've kind of got you. And then obviously like like I said with Harper with Gloucester, they're very well connected. When you're that young. I mean, you would get spotted, as I'd say, as long as you're showing a bit of potential, I'd say, uh, from under-18s with, with, with Hartley, ultimately. And then what about that moment that Gloucester said, right, let's have you for good, you know, let's let's have you in the team, Let's you've been training, you've been doing, you've done all the academy stuff, and and what about that moment that they finally, I suppose, make that final step? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously that's a massive moment for you personally, like with 
So it's after under 18s is quite, you go into an office and you decide whether you're basically ultimately getting an academy contract or you're not. So it's quite it's quite a big deal when you're that young. It's not the be on a end all at all, but when you're that kind of age, it's quite a big deal. So yeah, it was quite like, you kind of have half an idea. Well, you know who's kind of going to get one, but then I remember at the time I was one of those players where, I was I didn't really really didn't know whether I was going to get one or not. To be honest with you, I wasn't sure. I wasn't amazing at all under 18s. I wasn't one of the best players in the team. We had, when I think back, we had likes of Ollie Thorley, who's in the first team at Gloucester still. He's who's gone on to play for England as well. He was our kind of best player, so he was like noticeably. He was amazing when he was kind of well. He's, he's a great player now, but he was kind of our standout. And it was from my under 18s. I think there was five of us that got contracts in the under 18s and then yeah I was lucky to ultimately get one really yeah once you find out it's all then about you get put into the big stage when you get put into a professional environment so you're then training with professionals who are who are adults so then that's when you find out how much work you have to do to then become like a professional so it's like you're in the academy so you're typically in the academy from what depends when you break through ultimately it's when it's when you prove that you can play in a first team and do well that's when you get a senior professional contract but you're typically maybe from 18 to say 21 you're you're just you know you're in the environment but you potentially might not get an opportunity till you're like I say you're a bit older so that's when you go on loan you play in uh, the championship or you play in the box super league which is which is really good it was a really good way of boys now getting uh, spotted now in the Bucks Super League, which is which has been doing really well. That's the kind of stage you then go on from under 18s is is then into going on loan, doing as well as you can for your loan side. Obviously, your academy coaches watch your loan games and then they'll give you feedback on on where they think you need to improve to to ultimately get to that next step. And then what happened? Because in and around that stage, Alex was when Scotland under 20s started. For for you, you got yourself involved in that. How did how did that come about? Being down in Gloucester, I'd imagine you were part of an Excel's program and then got picked up. Talk to us a bit about how that happened, how that came about. Yeah, so it was a guy called Rob Briley who got in contact with me. He's, uh, I think, he actually might still be the guy who's kind of in charge of the Scottish Exiles. So basically, yeah, you sent him an email saying that. Obviously, he knew who I was and stuff, and obviously knew I was involved with Gloucester. That was when I was invited to a camp, an exiles camp, and then I remember we played Welsh. It was like it was like a trial. We played the Welsh school of the Welsh boys school or something. It was basically their under 18s team versus us, and thankfully, well, I, I played well in that game. I remember I managed to get my the match and. It was after that game, it was like, okay, right, we'll put you into the Scotland under 18s. It's pretty much like, yeah, you're straight in there. And then that was it. That was, it was that game that where he was watching and I played well. Yeah, I got a little tan card. Mum Mom keeps it, puts her flowers in it. So, yeah, that's back home. And then you progressed from 18s into under 20s and there was World Cups. And that was when, was that the time that you, Bamba, hooked back up? Because I know you'd, you'd have played against each other down here was that was that the first time you guys got back together internationally yeah it would have been it was yeah Georgia well actually no sorry it was Six Nations and then 
after you do the under twenty six nations, then you go into the World Cup, uh, which is in the summer. So yeah, that was out in Georgia, which was which was great. Well, I mean, it was it was questionable the first kind of place we were in. We were in a place called Katesi to begin with, and we we're on the bus, and it was it was like being back home on the farm. You know, there's cows crossing the road with some some old boy shepherding with a stick. Um, no, it was it was quite an eye but the facilities were good. Obviously, they, they could, you could see they'd gone out to put on a show, you know, for for the uh, for the rugby. It was their kind of opportunity to show the world that they can host these events, kind of thing. So, and they, that was when they started to come good. I think Georgia as well. You know, they, they started competing against uh, Tier One nations. Uh, I'd say after that tournament, yeah, like I said, that was the first time I'd played with Stafford and well before the, with the Six Nations, Stafford and Bamba again, which was. It was quite funny because obviously, well, they'd gone through kind of the route of of coming up through with Glasgow, and then obviously I saw them on the on the other side coming up down south. So it was quite cool as well at the same time being you know being in the environment with them. And John, that leads pretty perfectly because of course you had, shall we say, a role to play in both Alex and Stafford's. At some point, progression in their careers, maybe not so much Bamba, correct me if I'm wrong, I might be wrong on that, but certainly Alex, and uh, I believe it might give you a little bit of uh, PTSD thinking about some of the times you had to coach Alex back in the day. Yeah, I was, I was winding Alex up before before we came on. He's the only he's the only player that I've nearly been in tears with as a, as a coach, but absolute dread and fear. Now, the only saving grace was that the coach who had upset Alex enough to make him run away and go missing for nearly three hours was actually his dad. So that was the one saving grace. But I remember there was a training session and you, you and your dad, like it was it was almost like a comedy sketch. The two of you were so much alike. The bang in the heads the two of you had whenever you were, whenever you were out training together was, it was something to behold. It was hilarious. And you ended up, you just you just disappeared. Like you fell out with your dad, disappeared. Away in, at Greenlaw, where the gym is, down in the long grass. You were down there for about a good hour and a half. Honestly, I thought I was going to have to phone the police. I was like, what has happened here? It was when I just started as well. I was only like three weeks into the job. And that was my introduction to, to Alex. But it was, I talk, again, talking about these boys, like they're not, they're not in the same Zoom call as me, but... You know, you could see Alex had something about him. He was he was so determined, so headstrong that when he had something in his head, that that was it. There was there was no changing it. I remember. I mean, Alex, you'll know this. How competitive were you when you were a kid? Like it was scary competitive. I mean, I'm competitive, but you were a whole different level, mate, weren't you? Yeah. Well, yeah. Obviously, the stories of me running off probably. Probably lost last play or something like that, or dad had a go at me and I'd, I'd have just lost it straight off the bat and just ran head, played head and hide and seek. Uh, but uh, no, mum's got a funny story of me when I was, I think I was primary five. We were playing a tournament, I think it was like two tries each. We were playing air, we were in the final, and the air boy, I, for some, well, I was off the pitch. I'd been subbed off or I was off the pitch at the time. I think I may have hurt myself or something. And then they took me off. The air boys are running in to score the try. And I've ran on the pitch and tackled them, even though I'm on the bench. And uh, I can't even remember what happened after that. But I think I got a hell of a row from, from dad. But mum's mum was uh, always got a story in her locker. 
to remind me uh, how bad I was when I was younger. That <laughs> <laughs> was it was funny. You're not the, you're not the only one, but competitiveness I've never I've never seen anything like it. But obviously, it's it's a driver for you. It's been it's been something that you've always you've always had. Because again, I remember we went to a KNT camp and you were you were at the KNT camp, and I remember. I'll not, I'll not name the person, but there was somebody who had said, you know, that Alex Alex Craig will never never make a professional rugby player, and it almost made you more determined, like more gritty that you you were you were definitely going to do it. And moving down to Hartbury when you did, sixteen year old, you know, it takes massive courage to go and do that. And everything you've everything you've ever earned has has had to be really worked for, as you say, injuries. Here, there, and everywhere. Stop starting your career, but you're still able to fire through and, and get through things. So, just talk as because I think I may have my dates mixed up, but I'm sure you got your professional contract, first professional contract, around about 2019, and then of course 2019, 2020 season was COVID. So you've just got a new professional contract, and then COVID sort of hits, and then how did that? all play about we'll come on to your sponsorship with the tractor company through covid in a minute but let's chat rugby the now before we pull out that funny story and how how did that all transpire so pro am i right pro contract covid is that pretty much how it went if i remember rightly yeah i was what 21 22 i think yeah well it was it was definitely before covid i remember i had a year uh, it was kind of my first, like I say, it was kind of the year I broke into the first team. It, it, it was that year, but it was, I don't know, when you get the first contract, it's not like you're put into the first team. Like, obviously, you you there's a lot of competition. Like, you're still one of the young boys, really. You know, you're still sort of really much earning your stripes. So, yeah, it was obviously, at the time, like, we had quite a lot of big-name players in my position and stuff, so... It was about me taking my opportunity when I got it kind of thing. Like, I was not going to just be... I would have to do well, I guess. It's always the same when you're a young player. It's about when you get the opportunity, you've got you to do well and take it. Otherwise, they'll just give it to the, the guy who's more senior than you because he's got more experience. Ultimately, as a youngster, that's what it's got to come from, I'd say. Pretty much played my... Well, it was my first European game. I did well in that. And I got kept in the team... And then this was as late as like late November. I played like six games in a row and did well. And then I was invited into a Scotland camp. So I was I was just yeah I was twenty two then. It all happened pretty quickly. And then then you guess you're on the radar then, aren't you? But yeah, it was COVID did come up at a bad time for me because I was doing pretty well involved with Gloucester and stuff. And then obviously the summer tour, Scotland stuff. They like to obviously use kind of younger lads involved with that kind of stuff they tend to delve into that so all that kind of stuff was I guess there was an opportunity around that of, of being invited into like that and what was that like whenever you you sort of got that call up into the into the Scotland setup had there been conversations beforehand or was it just you know obviously you've been involved in the under 20s but to get the full call up to get invited into the training squad like how do those conversations take place I got a text um, from Gregor, uh, just saying that they were keeping an eye on me and they thought I was doing well, just to keep keep going, basically. 
which was obviously very encouraging at the time because I guess until you're there, you don't really realise like how close you are to involve, be involved with that. Yeah, obviously that was nice. And then it's sort of like mid-January, that's when they kind of make the call regarding the squad. I'd say it's a couple of weeks before the tournament starts. I got a phone call from Gregor and it was to say that I was going to be in the Six Nations squad, which was pretty surreal at the time. I remember I was sharing a, well, at the time I was sharing a flat in Gloucester uh, with my mate Seeps, and I couldn't really believe it. I walked in and you think it's, I'd seen a ghost, you know, I was, because uh, everything happened so quickly, obviously. It was like, say, I hadn't played really a senior game much for Gloucester. Well, I played a bet, but I'd just done well in a couple of Champions Cup games, and all of a sudden I'd managed to get myself involved with uh, Six Nations. So it was it was pretty pretty cool at the time. And obviously, like you're real close to your mum and dad. Like you you're you're up here back any any opportunity you have. You know, I see you around about the club all the time. What was what was it like making that phone call to them to say first of all you'd be made into the the training squad, which is obviously a big thing straight off the bat but then the conversation around you're involved in the you're involved in Scotland Six Nations campaign how did that go down at home yeah obviously absolutely static for me parents were delighted I think yeah my granddad was was probably walking around telling everyone in Castor was chest out but um no nah, they were all they're all delighted like I say at the time it was I was I was pretty nervous I remember obviously well now it's it's coming up nearly four years ago now, but I remember at the time it was it was very nerve. I was very nervous going into camp. Remember, I I flew up with Charis, Chris Harris. So obviously he was we used to like Gloucester, but he was um, he was the other player. So it was it was good. I had someone I guess to go up with. He was almost like a almost like a father role in that sense of like just showing me the ropes of things and him being a little bit more older and. I mean, he hadn't played an awful lot for Scotland. I remember this was quite a while ago. Well, I say it was coming up four years ago, so he hadn't played an awful lot at the time. But he was really good with me for in the sense of like just sort of travelling around with me and making it comfortable for me, you know, to be around the environment and made it quite easy for me to fit in and stuff. So Gloucester have a pretty professional setup. Like they'll obviously be beyond the ball. Was there much of a jump between what you had at Gloucester and what you had in Scotland? Was that, was that not, not that I'm saying the Glasgow boys would have found that a bigger jump, but like, you know, Premiership, there's obviously a bit more cash in around there. You know, it's relentless the week in, week out, the intensity. We hear about that all the time in the Prem is much more intense than the URC. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that later on. But what was that like in terms of the, the step up from what you'd experienced at Gloucester into into that Scotland setup? Yeah, to be honest with you, it was pretty seamlessly like this. The transition it wasn't too bad, like in the sense of the training was kind of what I'd been used to. Like there wasn't too much of a difference. Obviously, there's but a little bit maybe of of quality uh, regarding the players, but regarding the training and like what you were used to, what I was used to. It did make it quite easy going from, like I say, it was a professional set up with Gloucester to 
Scotland. So it wasn't I wasn't exactly like thrown in the deep end. I didn't feel like I was thrown in the deep end as such. It was more just about just learning everything, learning all your plays and stuff, which was quite similar. Quite an easy transition over to just be involved with the squad and stuff. And I'm going to ask it just because, like you see it in all the films and all the rest of it. What's what's that like? Is it you you walk into camp and the coaches are there and they hand you a, a massive big playbook and say, "There you go, Alex. That's your that's your studying. Get get brushed up." Or is it much more game based? Like is it all the stuff on the field and they're going over it, video analysis? You're getting clips sent to you on an iPad and they're drip, they're drip feeding it in. You know what's are they, are they conscious of that or is it we're in a professional environment, we have a Six Nations coming up, we do not have time to go through everything with you. You have to take ownership. Here's the info. Go. Yeah, it's very much like that. It's very much you got to take ownership on it. Obviously, being a new player, I wasn't expecting all everything straight off the bat, but you do have to take ownership, obviously, around that. So learning all your plays and where you need to be at certain times, whether that's phase one, phase two, what you have to do, what's your role, what you expect it to do. So, yeah, like I say, it's pretty similar to the professional environments, similar to like even here where I am now with Scarlets. It's, it's all very like same in that sense. There's nothing changes too much. Like the best teams in the world, I'm sure they're exactly the same. It's just how effective you run these plays. You know, that's how that's how that's how you separate best best teams. Is uh, you know everyone runs a, a three-two shape or a three-three shape. It's it's how effective you can do it and how much intent you can do it with and how square you are. It's 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 not. There's no sort of hidden shape that no one's seen or no one's come up with, you know, professional environments are all they're all the same really in that sense. And you just talked about that there. So we've obviously we've gone through the Gloucester, we've gone gone through Scotland. Now this is a another new chapter in your career, as you say, you're at the URC, you're down in down in Scarlets. What was the what was the sort of driver there for the, the change? What was what was your kind of thinking? Was it purely in around game time? further develop yourself getting back into Scotland sort of set up regularly is that is that the ambition is that the goal well I think to be honest with you I had a couple of years of where I struggled so my last two years I have struggled to stay fit so a lot of that has been down to like I say injury so I just felt like we're like going into too much detail around what my situation was and my deal and stuff as well but like I basically wanted a bit of a fresh start. Um, I had, like I say, two years where I had I had a shoulder operation, I had knee operation. I, I basically struggled to stay fit. And, you know, things potentially might work out differently if I had done, but uh, I fancied a different environment, a new environment. And I think it just, there was an opportunity there at the end, at the, at the end of the year. And I just felt like it would be something that for sure at the time, which which would which would help me, and so far, like I say, like so far has has been great in that sense. I've I've started like I started all all the games. I feel it, it was good for me to get a different environment. Yeah, because as we said, it was it was you have been plagued with injury, like quite stop start, and every time you've seemed to be getting a run of form, you end up a little bit unlucky and ended up with some injuries. So it's good to see you back getting those games. So. There's there's the age old question and we we talked about it a little bit just earlier on. URC Premiership. 
this was one of the questions that that Ross is, was keen to ask you before he's had to shoot off. But what is, from a player's point of view, like, is there much of a difference? Is that, you know, the the travel, was that was that a real interesting part of it? You've been able to see a bit more of the world. You know, the Premiership's very England-focused. But with URC, you get a bit of Scotland, a bit of Ireland, a bit of Wales, South Africa now. Was that the exciting part of it? Was that part of the reason for joining Scarlet's? I think for sure the travel was was something that did interest me in the sense of the English league is quite it can be quite repetitive. You know, you play against same teams. Yeah, there is a little bit of focus on on that. But like, I don't know about. But like, basically the the URC the way it works with the South African teams now involved with it with the league, like it has brought a whole different dimension to the competition. Like it brings in such a wider audience. Um, and also, I think, well, I was out in South Africa what, a month ago. I was out there for two weeks, and like it's, a, it's an incredible country. I'd never been out there before. We were out in Pretoria for, we were out in Cape Town for a week. But it's just like it, it's so difficult. Like if you're not used to it, it's so difficult to play out there. The whole altitude thing is massive. Uh, so we went out. We had the Bills' first game of the league. So we went out there on the Monday and then we played them on the Sunday and it was absolutely boiling. 33 degrees and it's 1,500 metres above sea level and before you walk out onto the pitch, there's a sign. Everyone that's played at Loftus will have seen it and it's 1,500 metres, it matters. And I can tell you now, it bloody does matter. <laughs> it makes a hell of a difference. My lungs were absolutely burning. And no matter what training I think you've done at home, there's nothing that can prepare, prepare you for that. It was the hardest game of rugby I've ever played in my life. And, yeah, we got beat by 40 points. It was like 63-22 or something. It was genuinely, like I say, it was the hardest game of rugby I've ever played. I don't think any European team has won out there yet. And that doesn't surprise me. There's a reason why these Safkin teams are really good at home. And it's because, you know, they, they're acclimatised to it. And ultimately, even the week up to, I remember the week up to the Stormers game, like we were staying at Stellenbosch Academy. Like it's just the food and stuff as well, the travel. Everyone's got diarrhea and it just doesn't help. It's just all these small things that keep nipping away the travel and then you, you, all of a sudden you're a bit ill and, and all of a sudden you've got to go and play against these massive biltong animals are just charging down your channel like so it's um it is a big challenge but you don't appreciate how hard it is until you do it i think yourself but that's what i took away from south africa but it was it set us up well because when we came back we had we had cardiff um at home which which was we won that game which was which was important for our season i think that gave us a real kick up the backside going back from south africa yeah uh, we then had Leinster away, which was which was pretty hard. And that was a bit of a big score, but no, we're we're still kind of finding finding our connections a little bit as, as a team. There's a lot of new going on. Like I say, regarding the URC and the Premiership, the URC, like I say, it's got a whole different dimension to it now with the Safkin teams being in it. I think it is very good for the league for sure having that uh, with the whole travel stuff. But uh, I think it's it's exciting to have that. That was one of the, let's say, one of the things that brought me across. And the other one that Roscoe is really interested in, because he has a, a rugby nose, you've been involved 
with Gloucester. You're now involved with Scarlets. What is the rivalry like between Gloucester and Bath compared to the rivalry between Scarlets and Ospreys? Like, what's the the build up? What's the you know? Are you are you talking about it? You're building a narrative around it, or is it just another game? You know, what's what's it like in the team? Because obviously those are big rivalries outside. The fans get really excited for it. What's it like in the camps? Yeah, for sure. There's added spice to them game weeks. Being a new player at Scarlet, I got a bit of a taste of it last week regarding, obviously, it's, it's, it's another game, but it's obviously a big game. It means a lot more to to the fans and obviously the boys who have been at Scarlet's whole careers. You know, they know what it is. They know, they know what what's coming. They know it's obviously going to be tough and it's the same with Gloucester Bath. It's it's massive. It's um, It means a lot to the people. They're, you know, they're big rugby, they're big rugby areas. You know, that's the one thing like I think being at Gloucester and now being at Scarlet's, they are big rugby areas. You know, rugby being number one sport. Um, so, yeah, for sure. You can see what it means to the people. I guess, yeah, you can feel that I guess when, you, when you're out there. And you've thought you've got away with okay. it, Alex. Oh, it's it's still fresh in my memory. We we teased the tractor sponsorship story. Tell us about the time Alex Craig became a viral superstar. Was it Instagram, TikTok? What was your platform of choice? How did you become an influencer? Talk to us about that. So it came through my sister doing an Instagram story. I think it was. I think you guys asked for some social media content or I think it was even Gloucester as well. It was just because obviously there was nothing going on at the time with COVID and uh, it was basically to show you basically doing some exercise during lockdown. I think the tractor was just parked outside the, the front door pretty much. So and it was a nice sunny day, and I decided to jump up and do some chin-ups on this uh, on the loader. Uh, well, actually, it was the spikes. It was the spikes. So was, um, I've jumped up, and I've, well, I've done a lot of pull-ups. And then my sister's just, like, like tagged me in it. and just I put it on my story. And then, um, yeah, amazingly, it was, like, I think Gloucester then shared it. So, obviously, it would have got a fair bit of views from that. And then I think... It got it somehow got out to like BBC Sport, and then it was on. I remember it was on BT. Uh, it was on like Rugby Tonight on BT Sport. It was like rugby players during lockdown, and it was like me doing some chin ups in a tractor, and then it was like went on to some like big dog who actually people know who he is. It was like I don't know, maybe like I don't know Brian Driscoll throwing a rugby ball on a bin or something. But <laughs> it was um, yeah, it was quite funny. It was. Uh, it was funny how it kind of got out there, I guess. And then, and then my my dad, well, someone got in touch with them. It was Massey Ferguson. Uh, they somehow found this video of me doing some chin ups on obviously Mass Ferguson tractor. Basically, they were asking me then to just like sponsorship for Massey Ferguson. Yeah, ultimately, can't say I've done too much for them yet, but um, that. Basically, got a couple of grand off his, off his tractor. So it's funny how one thing leads to another. Oh, it's, a, it's the power of social media. Massey Ferguson, if you if you want to sponsor the podcast, we are available. <laughs> we we will also promote everything and anything you you want to give us. 
We will not take money off a tractor because we don't own tractors, but I'm more than happy to take sponsorship. Uh, it, was, it was funny, mate, because it was... Listen, I know a lot a lot of people talk about this sort of stuff with pro pro guys and how, how hard you work behind the scenes and everybody thinks it's, you know, once you get there, that's that's it, you're sorted. But the amount of times I've seen you down, down this rugby club running running sprints, sometimes more successfully than other times. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I remember at least two or three times where you've gone not today, John. I'm I'm going home, I'm not feeling it, I'll come back tomorrow and I'll do some more. But like numerous times I've seen you down here running about. Now granted, I'm gonna th- I'm gonna throw this at you, and this would be an allegation I'm sure some of your pals have shown you as well. I don't know like you maybe need to change your uh, washing up powder or something like that because if you're that allergic to your top you need to take it, keep taking it off. <laughs> then we need to have a look at your washing detergent because it is constantly off, mate. What is what is that all about? The gun show, bought and paid yeah. for, is it? Uh, it's just because you see me in the summer only, you see. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you've seen me a couple of lads' holidays running around at Stuart Tree, feeling pretty sorry of throwing up my guts. Just any 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 sort of weight has just launched off. So it's uh, in my head, <laughs> my top's off, I'm a little bit lighter, it might move a little bit better. <laughs> no, excellent, mate. What's that? We, we, we normally finish off with, with a few a few quick-fire questions, and Roscoe always likes to ask the classic question of what is next for Alex Craig? What's your plans in the short term, medium term, long term? Where are you seeing yourself going? What are you What are you hoping to get out of this season and maybe the next couple of seasons? I think short term, uh, I just need to keep working hard where I am, Scarlets. So play as much as I can, really. So, like I say, I've started off the season, started well each of each of the games. For us, it's about building as a team. So contributing as much as I can towards that. You know, if that goes well and I'm playing well enough, then hopefully I'm not too far away from potentially being back involved with Scotland. But, you know, that's out of my hands. I've just got to work hard where I am and ultimately do as well as I can to, to, to get the opportunity if it, if it comes. Or, uh, you know, it's, um, but I guess that's the goal. Obviously, I'll get the opportunity to play against Glasgow Edinburgh, which, is, which will be good for me personally. But like I say, that's, that's the kind of, I guess, the here and now. And then, you know, things work for you. If you do well with that, then things things then can take off a bit, like I've well, like like I've experienced already a couple of years ago. So I know it's about getting a bit of form and a bit of fitness together, and ultimately you got to you got to work hard in your environment, you got to work hard at your club, and then things happen for you. Are those dates already circled in the calendar? Edinburgh, Glasgow, or game at a time? Is it is it the cliche game at a time build build up to them? Hit them, hit them whilst you're running. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think we've we've got a block of. We've got seven more games until we kind of get a break. So we've played six, so it's thirteen consecutive games. So it's a lot of rugby um, until we kind of get a little bit of time off. So I am aware we don't we don't play. We play Edinburgh on nineteenth of January, but like I say, we <laughs> it's uh, it's. It's quite far. It's still quite far away. Yeah, we don't we don't play. I don't think we actually play up at Scotland, which is a bit of a shame. But because obviously that'd be the closest for me for my family. But I think the like say that Edinburgh game is is at Park Scarlets. Yeah, uh, in March thirtieth of March, 
is the is the the reunion the reuniting of the Alex Craig and Stafford McDowell combo, albeit on different sides of the pitch. Yeah. Last little bit we do to finish off, Alex, is some quick fire questions. So this is just the first name that pops into your head. We'll ask the question, and you can choose from your time at Shirtree, your time at Vries, your time at Hartbury, your time at Gloucester, time at Scarlets, or even if you fancy it, the time with the Scotland guys, under-20s, under-18s, or the full camp. Question one. Who is the hardest trainer or the hardest worker? Belly 12 trees. Who is the loudest in the dressing room? Payne Plumtree at Scarlet's. Who is the worst dresser? Probably Fraser Balmain. I was at Gloucester. Who's the longest in front of the mirror? Charlie Chapman at Gloucester. Worst taste in music? Probably Payne as well. Tame Plumtree at Scarlet's. I, I left, I, I, car left with him as well. So, car share. So, yeah, it's not ideal. The question more songs come up. Who's the most naturally talented? Finn Russell. The biggest prankster? Probably his lad Scarlett's Cal Williams. What's his best prank? I don't know, he just tries to scare people all the time. Oh, scare Cam. I like it. Yeah. Who's the hardest, just absolute hard nut? Got to go with Lewis Ladlow. Lost captain. And lastly, who is the best on a night out. Can't go against my little crew. I have my left share crew. So you all and Tane and, and Scraggy. Your little band. I was going to say, you, you were you were maybe struggling there because you're normally the worst for wear on a night out. Pretty bad for it. <laughs> Great, mate. Listen, that's that's all from me. Just what I'd say, thank, thank you very much, Alex, for coming on. 50th episode, celebrating it with us. We wanted a big gun. Yeah big guns to come out on the 50th episode. Hope you've had fun. Hope you've enjoyed it. And uh, wish you all the best going forward, mate. Uh, cheers, John. Um, that, may have, that was good. I'll, uh, no, I'll see you around when I'm next up. But uh, like I say, I don't really know what that'll be. Pretty jam-packed schedule. But yeah, it might be at the end of the season. I'm sure I'll be home. So yeah, I'll, I'll be in and around at some point. You're listening to the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast, bringing you the latest updates, captivating interviews and in-depth analysis of the sport we love. And now we have some exciting news for our listeners. This season we are proudly sponsored by BE Uniforms, the clothing partner of the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast. They have been providing top quality workwear and rugby kits for over 34 years, serving rugby clubs, schools and businesses across Scotland and the north of England. What sets BE Uniforms apart is their commitment to quality and their extensive experience in the industry. With 10 retail stores spread across the region, they are the largest uniform company in the area. They've partnered with renowned brands like Canterbury and Macron, making them the go-to destination for all your rugby kit needs. From Melrose to Oban and beyond, BE Uniforms has been supplying top quality rugby kits to clubs all over Scotland. So, if you're gearing up for the 2023-24 season and looking for a reliable kit supplier, we highly recommend checking out BE Uniforms. 
Visit their website at beuniforms.com to explore their impressive range of rugby kits and workwear options. But that's not all. Did you know that BE Uniform hosts the podcast shop on their website? Now you can go show your support for the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast by purchasing exclusive DG Rugby Pod merch. We want to express our sincere gratitude to BE Uniforms for their support in bringing you this season of the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast. Now, let's get back to the action on the field. Stay tuned for more captivating interviews and insightful previews and reviews of all the thrilling rugby happening across Dumfries and Galloway. So for part two of the 50th ever episode of the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast, you know exactly what's going on. Again, John, another mixed bag with some games being cancelled and we're getting into that time of the season where there's a there's almost a backlog of fixtures because of obviously the weather where we live i know this weekend is to be very cold apparently in in some parts minus six across friday and saturday which might put a dampener on some of the games this weekend but of course that is coming a little bit later first we need to go through what happened at the weekend and we have a couple games to tell you about newton stewart were a side that did have a rescheduled game because it was cancelled earlier on in the season and they went away on a long trip to gordonians but they've come away with a fantastic result gordonians 12 newton stewart 25 yeah, and it's not a short little bus trip for, for the Newton boys. It was six hours it took them to get there. So Gordonians are a good team as well. So it was another good result for Newton Stewart. Going up there, probably for Wiley, the most easing part uh, was the goal line attack that they've been really working hard on, and it, and it worked out really well. They came out of the traps absolutely flying and showed some superb attitude. Jack Gall got a penalty and an unconverted Ben McMeekin try uh, made it 10-0 early on. And then a Russell Morton try in the corner took them to 15-0 going into half-time. Gordonians were always going to have a reaction coming off the back of that. And it proved that when they worked their way upfield to get themselves a score. Newton went straight back down the other side with a Roberts service try. And then Gordonians knocked one back to make it 20 points to 12 and things were going to get a bit nervy in the touchline, but the boys showed a cool head, finished the game off with Callum Gore running in from about the halfway line to secure all five points for Newton Stewart. A shout-out to Mark Craig, who stepped up in the front row this week, Fergus Fisher making his debut in a strong second-half performance, and David Gore, who controlled the game at 10 and ended up earning himself a man-of-the-match performance. So that's a really good result for for Newton on the road. A wee bit closer to home, travelling-wise, for Annan. They went to DL and did not get the result they were hoping for. DL 54, Annan nil. Yeah, and it's it's one I think Annan will want to to move on from pretty quickly, uh, considering that they they didn't get themselves on the scoreboard at all. It was a real tough day for them, and unfortunately... They were on the wrong side of the result. Normally pretty hot on their match reports on the websites. There's been nothing on, so that probably speaks 
volumes for how they felt their performance was. But they'll be looking to, to bounce back this weekend. It's going to be a tough one for them, but they can only do what they can do. Put in a performance, as Jan keeps saying, um, and hopefully they improve and they, they can get some points on the board. Because we know they can score, it's just I'm, we're not sure what happened there. Annan are better than being beat by 50 points to nil, so it's unfortunate for them. Not much to say about that one, and not a lot really we can say for the Shire men's either, John, apart from the fact that the weather got in the way. Yeah, it's the first of what will be many games that we're going to talk about that weather sort of put a kibosh on that. So, postponement for Shire up at Straven, no fixture there. But as I say, they're not, not the only ones, and you can imagine there being quite a few games across Scotland called off with the frost that sort of hit on Saturday and Sunday. Much like the Newton-Stewart game that we started with, last week we dubbed Langham having a really tough fixture, which I'm sure it was, and by the scoreline you can see that it probably was a hard-fought match, but they have pulled one out the bag here. Langham 15, Haddington 10, and I think it's fair to say Langham are making their home ground something of a fortress in these past few Last few weeks, John. Yeah, we're going to look at when we're doing a bit of a preview. How do we quick look at the, everybody's form? And Langham actually are, are on a pretty decent, a pretty decent little run, and that is a great result. Haddington, as we say, they're sitting, they were sitting top, if not second, in the league. They're now sitting second. Langham getting themselves up into fourth. They've got a the tough one against Linlithgow this weekend coming up, but after putting in a performance there against Haddington. Uh, They'll be, they'll be going into this with some confidence. And this week, we do have a report from them via their Twitter page. So it was a real early start. It was an 8am pitch inspection and the, pa- the pitch had obviously passed and they were ready to, to rock and roll. They got off, Langham got off to an absolute flyer with Bailey Donaldson scoring inside the first 10, 11 minutes. They then doubled that up with a Nathan Smith penalty kick, which took them to 8-0, which was a score going into halftime. Haddington did manage to pull one back three minutes into the second half and make it the conversion, which made the game a lot tighter. Haddington then took the lead for the first time with another penalty kick to make it 10-8. Murray Rose then got yellow carded for Langham. And a yellow card also for Haddington, making it 14 each. Tries came from Bailey Donaldson, Nate Smith. They managed to get another try on the board to make it 15-10 final score. Speaking of pitching... What was I going to say there? Pitch inspectors. Pitch inspections. Speaking of pitch inspections... We had one at Moffat, and there's a little bit of, without trying to sound controversial, a little bit of gossip at this one at Home Park, is there not, John? Moffat were due to have, or due to play, Glasgow Uni Medics at home. Yeah, so apparently they ran a pitch inspection early doors where they said that it was probably touch and go and were Glasgow Uni Medics willing to come down and travel and play on it regardless. My interpretation of what's been said to us is that they've agreed to that, they've came down, and when they've got there, a decision has been made that they didn't think the pitch was playable. So 
Moffat boys having already got there and been stripped and ready, warming up before that call was made, um, decided that they were going to have a little muckabout game themselves. I think they did some dizzy penalties uh, and uh, had, had a bit of a fun day just because Glasgow Uni medics had obviously deemed the pitch maybe not not 100% playable and they weren't 100% comfortable playing on it, which is unfortunate. Sometimes it happens, you know, you you, you go with the intention of, of going and playing and then when you get there, there is a conflict of interest. And in that situation, the referee will always go on the side of caution. So the referee can't make the final call as to be the two team captains. The two team captains try and come to a compromise and if it's not possible and one of them's dead set on saying that the pitch isn't playable, then the referee has to go with that. Because otherwise, he becomes legally responsible if anybody gets injured on it. So you can understand from a referee's point of view why why they would take that stance. So, yeah, it's a little bit, um, maybe a little bit annoying for Moffat, but player safety at the end of the day is the main concern for everybody. So that game got called off. Sirens headed to Hillhead Jordan Hill. And came away with a seventy-one-eight loss on the road. Yeah, tough one. We knew going to Hills was going to be tough for for the Sirens, and it turned out that way again. Much like when we talked about the Annan one, you're not really want to dwell on it too much. There was some good sort of stuff coming out of the Sirens. Ali Henderson playing our one hundredth cap. Sophie Mann managing to get a try for our first game for the Sirens eh, on loan from from Shire. Obviously, our plea from last week it certainly worked for the Saturday fixture. But 71 is, is still a lot of points to be conceding. There's obviously something defensively that they, they maybe need to click and work on. They've obviously got some, some real talent in that squad and a real work ethic. And they're just needing to try and band together to see out this rest of the season because I know that they're down to some bare bones in the squad um, and try to make sure that they get these fixtures played um, by borrowing and getting some players. New girl started as well uh, at the weekend. So it's a, it's a steep learning curve for the Sirens in their first year in the Prem, but it's still within their capabilities of making sure they stay up. The Allen Warriors travelled to air and by no means disappointed themselves, at least with the scoreline. Anna Warriors 5, Air 29. Yeah, and it was a bit of a disaster for Anna again. It was a game that got called called short uh, after another pretty severe leg break. For anybody who is in the know about first aid, it's what they call an open fracture to the lower leg, which means that the skin was broken so it's a fairly serious one that needed an operation pretty quickly pinned and plated make sure the wound was clean so Annan want to be show their, show their gratitude to the air physios who managed to, to help out the Annan physios until the ambulance arrived um, and we wish the best of luck to Becky Nelson and her recovery it was 70 minutes the game was played uh, it's a tough one to take two and, two and two weeks for, for Annan ladies so I'm sure they'll be shaken, but sometimes these things happen in rugby, unfortunately, and it, it could just be two freak accidents. It's very rare that you would probably get them back to back, and unfortunately for the, the Warriors, that's what's happened to them. But the game prior to that was a very tough and physical game. 
very experienced air team. The Warriors gave it them all and had opportunities to score many more points than what they actually did manage to go on, but good defence from air stopped them. Best in attack was a back from Brack Rowe, Ashley Clark and Kayleigh Warwick and Erin Ewan with the sword of the match going to Ailey Henderson. In defence, Joanna Clark, Hannah Parson and Rihanna Parker-Clevitt tackled hard with the shield of the match going to Erin Ewan. To finish off the results roundup, we had two, well, non-played fixtures for two different reasons. Bigger were awarded a 28-0 win against the Shire Ladies for an insufficient player forfeit, while the Dumfries Ladies weren't able to play their tournament due to the weather again. Yeah, unfortunately for Shire, they weren't able to get that team out, which meant bigger. Take the 28-0 win, as you say. Um, and then Dumfries Saints, after us bigging them up, saying that they were the game of the week and this was going to be their final game and they were going to be the only team to have played every fixture in that league. Unfortunately, the weather's kiboshed that. But I'm sure the Saints ladies will make sure that they complete that series when once that date's been rearranged. Now, with 20 minutes, we're going to run through the fixtures preview and I'm going to flip it right on its head because it is fresh in our memories. So I'm going to start with the ladies, John, and we've got the Sirens away, of course, as we know. This time it's Sterling. Another, another real tough one. Last time these two sides met, it was 69-0 to Sterling. And the Sirens are having to go all the way back to August for their last victory when they played Geary. So it's been a long, old season for the Sirens. This is going to be another tough one up to Sterling, but the objective remains the same. Make sure make sure they get a team out. Make sure we've got a team in the Premiership going forward next season and making sure that they're prepared, as prepared as they can be for going to Geary. Because that is going to be, as we keep saying week in, week out, that is that is where the season's building to for them. And this one is going to be to try and make sure that they they don't end up getting nulled again. They want to get that scoring happening. They want to make sure they get their gameplay sorted. Work on that defence so that they're not shipping as many points because they've played some of these teams before and and held them to much tighter scores. They just need to make sure that they keep working hard because every point could it could come down to points difference at the end of the day. So they they need to make sure that that is something that they are also considering. Bonus points are also a possibility. So even if you are getting beat, go for it, score four tries, get a bonus point because they're going to need to fight for every point. In West 1, both Shire and Annan Warriors are away this weekend. Shire away to Cortha Queen's Park 2s. Annan Warriors away to Oban. Yep, and Shire will be going in as full of confidence. The The last time these two sides played, Shire put 78 points on Cartha. Nulled Cartha. Cartha didn't get any points. And also, when you look at their form going into this, They've had one loss in the last seven games. One loss and one unfulfilled, I suppose, just to be totally accurate and transparent. But they have won four on the bounce. There was then they suffered a loss and then they got back to winning ways and then that unfulfilled fixture, as we say, at the weekend there. So they have got a bit of form going into this. They are red-hot favourites going into this. Carthar struggled, even though they've got the probably the biggest women's section 
in the country. They do struggle at times to put teams out across both Saturdays and Sundays. But it's a home game, so I'd imagine that would be cap- that would be doable for them. So Shire need to make sure that they have a squad. So I made a plea for Stewartry last time, so I'm going to make a plea for Shire this time because I did say, regardless, I was going to do it for everybody. We need to make sure that our teams are able to put out players and if we can, help out as and where we can uh, and make sure that all these games are getting played and our teams don't get deducted points just because they can't they can't muster up teams. So we need to band together in D&G, work together and, and make sure that fixtures are getting played as much as we can. And as we say, Annan up at Oban, we don't have a score from the last time these two sides met because Oban weren't able to raise a team to get themselves down to Annan. So again, we're making the plea that hopefully Annan, even though they've suffered a number of injuries now in the last couple of weeks, that they can put something together. And they can go and play that fixture, Oban, uh, come back with a win. Great bus trip. It always is a great bus trip coming back from Oban with a victory. Uh, hopefully, I don't want to jinx it, touch wood. Everybody, touch a bit of wood now. Knock your head. Turn around, throw shoot salt over your shoulder, whatever it is you, you need to do. Hopefully, Annan don't suffer any more horrific injuries the rest of this season. Hopefully, none of our teams suffer these horrific injuries. But wish again, just wishing the best for those those two because that's pretty horrendous when you break when you break your legs. So good luck to them pair in their recovery. And we look forward to finding out how Annan got on up at Oban this weekend. Newton Stewart are back at home after a good away win at Gordonians. This time they've got Kirkcaldy. And they're coming off a nine-match unbeaten streak as Newton Stewart. There is one draw in there, again, for interest of full transparency. But the last time these two sides played was also a 25-14 win for Newton Stewart. So they've got the form, they've got the home advantage. They'll be going into this. Wiley hates it as, as favourites. They'll be looking to pick up a win at Bladnock. They should be picking up bonus point score here as well with the form that they're in. They reversed the fixture the last time they lost. The last game they played when they when they when we had that draw, that was the last game they, they had lost. Since then they've gone on a winning streak. And they've reversed that with a draw. So they're in fine form. They should be full of confidence. And this should be a very clear Newton Stewart win. Dumfries Saints back in action after a bye week. They are away to bottom of the table, Hamilton Bulls. Yeah, they've had a real mixed bag so far this season. Saints, they've been very up and down. Their last sort of run of form, win from the previous week, four losses before that, then had a win, then there was two losses and there was a win before that. When you look back, Saints beat Hamilton 34-32 at Park Farm. They're now up at Lee Park, I'm sure that's what they call Hamilton Bills pitch. They're up there. And it's going to be a tough one because obviously that game was really tight before, but Saints have improved since then. Hamilton maybe have improved as well, but we're obviously looking at the Saints here. This is a game that was a contender for Game of the Week, but we're going somewhere else for Game of the Week. But this is going to be a real doozy. This is one that I'm certainly going to have my eye on, and I hope the rest of the DNG also have their eye on this one because that is going to be a, a cracker. Stuart Tree also back in action. This time away to Greenock, side that we managed to beat at home. 
but this time it's a different kettle of fish getting on the bus, heading up. Fingers crossed, though, as I said earlier, that it does get played because I've heard Greenock area include, and our area, Dumfries and Galway, is meant to be cold this weekend. Greenock's by the coast, though, up high. They should should be, theoretically, they should be they should be all right. That coast there will keep just on the fourth there, should, uh, should keep them good. But yeah, as you say, Roscoe, Stuart won a convincing win. Uh, 67-17 the last time. But their form has been mixed bag. As I say, they have form. They have history of beating Greenock. It's away, away from home. Fort Matilda, tough place to go. But I would say Stuart should be looking at going into this game as, as favourites for the win. Greenock will be hoping that they'll be able to turn that performance around because they won't be happy with that scoreline. So they're certainly going to come for Stuartry, but I'm sure the Stuartry boys are prepared. I'm sure you're going to be training hard. That's why you're having to leave this podcast slightly early, Roscoe, to get yourself down there. So I'm sure Stuartry will do grand. Yeah, need to go get that 10 jersey back is, is my plan there. In West Wan, Shire, fingers crossed, they get to play this weekend, are hosting Killy. And Annan, off the back of a painful draw, a uh, painful draw. I think they would have probably liked to draw, wouldn't they? Painful loss to DL. I think the last team you want to come up against is Ardrossan away. It's a baptism of fire, but as we always say, anything is possible. Yeah, they've got to take a bit of inspiration from the last time they played Ardrossan, because on paper, Ardrossan look like they're going to go into this game red-hot favourites, and they they are. They, let's not beat up around the bush. They are going to go into this game favourites. Annan, though, 30 points to 17 the last time these two sides played. Not a million miles away. A little bit tighter on the defence. Scored a little more points. And they're, and they're in around that ballpark. Now, I know that their form hasn't been great, Annan. They've had two wins in their last sort of nine fixtures. But they have come reasonably close. You know, they're not, we don't have to go all the way back to October or August for those. They've been in the last three, four fixtures. So there is flashes of that coming through for Annan. It's just, we talk about it, it's the inconsistency, not knowing what team they're going to be able to put out, not knowing where their performances are going to be. Some weeks they score loads of tries, some weeks they don't score any tries. They're going to need to score tries if they're going to beat a Drossin. They need to score tries if they want to get anything from the game. I think they go into this game hopeful and just just go for it. Like, what have they got to lose? A Drossin are top of the league. Everybody expects a Drossin to win this. Just go and cut loose. Play, play mental rugby. Go and throw the ball around. Unlock some of your real potent attackers that you have and go for the four tries. And if you score four tries, you're not going to be far away. I wouldn't have thought. I don't want to speak for Jan. I've not spoke to him this week, but you know that's certainly certainly where I'd be sort of angling this game. Let's let's go and enjoy ourselves. Let's go and express ourselves. Let's see what we can do. And then we go to the Shire. They're obviously coming in against Kilmarnock. Shire are going to be looking good for this game. I would suggest home. Kelly on the ropes. The last time these two sides played, twenty six eight. When you look at Shire's form, it's pretty good. There was this postponement, obviously, at the weekend there, but two wins prior to that. There was two back-to-back losses. There was a win, there was a loss, and then two back-to-back wins. 
going back to the last time they played Kilmarnock. So they'll be going into this thinking that they are going to hopefully put a big score on Kilmarnock. They really need to put them to the sword, especially at home. Get that, get the five points and don't spare Kelly. Sorry, Pratty. I know I'm your pal, but Shire want them five points and I want Shire to get them. So let's go. Langham, after a very good result against Harrington or away to Linlithgow. Kind of the reverse of Annan, I suppose, when you've just off the back of a really good win, you don't want to just go and play bottom of the table or a team that hasn't won. You want to test yourself again, and they've definitely got that with, with an away trip to Linlithgow. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a cracker of a test as well, because not only are Linlithgow sitting near the top of that league, but the last time these two sides met, there was only three points between them. It was 24-21. Unfortunately for Langham, they were on the wrong side of that. But as you said, that was their home game, their their fortress. So they'll be looking to try and make sure that they can take that form on the road, and they're going to need that when they when they play Linlithgow. As you say, the forms the forms pretty decent. Three three wins on the bounce. There was two losses before that and a win before that. So they're you know they're not by any stretch of the imagination in a bad and a slump of form. They are on the up, and this could be a a real surprise. A real surprise victory. Again, another real close contender for Game of the Week, but the next game we're going to look at is our Game of the Week, and we're going to big that up. Well, there's only one left, if you've listened closely enough, I suppose. And then you'll know that Game of the Week must be Berkmeyer hosting Moffat. Absolutely. Is. This, is the, this is the big tasty one. Moffat is sitting third. Burkmeyer sitting first, of course. There is a bit of split legions for me. Moffat, D&G side. Puppy is Burkmeyer sitting top of the table. Irvin, obviously, in and around that title chase as well. This is really exciting and really mouth-watering. And that's why I've made it. I've made the executive decision, Ross. I didn't didn't bring you in on this. But I've made the decision that I'm going to make Moffat Burkmeyer the game of the week. Because both teams have had a really stop start run into this game so they're both probably on even footing Moffat sneaked at 13 points to 10 the last time these two sides played Moffat had a bit of a wobble during the season but they they were on a real run of good form picking up some real good victories and that lead up to the last Burkmeyer game Burkmeyer have hit their straps picking up some real big scalps going into it so this is going to be a real ding dong battle both coming in off of the back as postponements, a couple of wins here and there, losses splattered in between. It's going to be a real cracker of a game. So we're looking forward to these two sides meeting and playing against each other. Obviously, we're back in Moffat. Sorry, puppy, but Rossi's army, let's go. <laughs> I am more than happy for that to be game of the week, John, so long as you write it on your page right now. Because... For everyone listening, every single week without fail, John asked me to go back through it while I'm editing and say, what did I say was Game of the Week? So put it on your page right now or on your phone. Moffat, Burkmar. Burkmar and Moffat. I've got stars. Stars round about it this week, Ross. So you're right. Ross, the games are just so exciting. It's so difficult to remember when you get into it and you start talking about them, you get excited. And I keep forgetting which ones we make Game of the Week. So this week I've made the executive decision, so I won't be asking you. I've got it starred in my notebook already. 
that is that then for episode 50. Fantastic to have Alex on. Fantastic to have made it to this 50th mark. And truly amazing that John will remember Game of the Week. Thank you very much to everyone that has listened over these past 50 episodes, the past year and a half. It means a lot. And here is to the next 50. Cheers, John. Cheers, Roscoe. Enjoy training, mate. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a like and review on our social medias. Our Facebook page is Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast. Our Instagram and Twitter handles are DG Rugby Pod. We also have the Score Predictor, which we run weekly, which will be on our social media accounts. And once again, thank you for any support that you offer the pod. It really does help us spread the word of rugby in Dumfries and Galloway across the country.